This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. Love, revenge, friendship, adventure, miracles, and justice. It's the best fantasy action adventure ever filmed. It's The Princess Bride, and this film is lit. That's right, I think it's the best fantasy action film ever filmed. Welcome to the very first episode of This Film is Lit. We're reviewing The Princess Bride, one of our favorite films of all time. Arguably. Our, our most favorite. We own two copies of this film. <laughs> it's not even in my top five, but it's in my top ten favorite films. And it's definitely one of my favorite films ever made. And I honestly didn't know it was a book until I think you told me. I read it in high school, I think. Um, and I remembered very little about it before I reread it again this week. So The Princess Bride... By William Goldman, not to be confused with William Golding, who wrote Lord of the Flies. Very different. And not the guy he says in the movie. No. Oh, okay. Um. Because <laughs> he says a name in the movie. Right, it's The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern. Yeah, S. Morgenstern, that's it. Yeah, which is a joke throughout the book. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, just another little fun inside fact. We watched this film on our second date third 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 date third date because we both loved it so much and decided we needed to watch it together so i think it's the best action film action adventure film ever ever made maybe ever made probably there's some older ones that i haven't seen like the original like robin hood and like those Mm -hmm. like from the heyday of like swashbuckling yeah swashbuckling arrow flynn that i haven't seen that I'm sure some people may argue, but in the modern era, I can't think of a single movie that really even comes close. There are a couple that come close. One mm. of our favorites, and what we've talked about before, is uh, um, um, Pirates of the Pirates Caribbean. of the Caribbean, the first one, <laughs> the first one. <laughs> the um, other ones go a little off the rails. Yes, but... but the first one is arguably as close as they've gotten since The Princess Bride. But yeah, so this it's a it's a novel, and the whole premise of the show. So we review, talk about movies based on books. So we got some segments. Let's get into them. I don't know what this segment's called. We'll come up with a name. Guess who? Guess who? Yeah, that works. Guess who? I mean, I'm going to describe someone to you and you're going to... Yes, Guess so, who it is. Exactly. So. Our first segment, we're going to play a little game where Katie describes a character from the book 
using the book description, and I have to try to guess what character that is. Keep in mind, I have not read the book, so this should be interesting. Have not read a word of the book. Not a single page. So first off, he was shaped like a barrel. His chest was a great barrel chest, his thighs mighty barrel thighs. He was not tall, but he weighed close to 250 pounds, brick hard. He walked like a crab, side to side, and probably if he had wanted to be a ballet dancer, he would have been doomed to a miserable life of endless frustration. Well, for a minute, I was going to go with Fezzik, but then he was short. But maybe that was a movie (laughs) casting, casting Andre the Giant for, you know, because the barrel-chested... Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing. He moved like a crab. Because then I started thinking Vizzini. But... He's, uh, it's going to be nobody that I think it's going to be. <laughs> but I'm going to go just on the off chance that they just cast Andre the Giant because they thought that would be a fun thing. And because he was big at the time. I'm going to go with Fezzik. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. It's Prince Humperdinck. Oh, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, short, but... Yeah. Yeah. Read it again real quick, just kind of quickly. I just want to hear it again now. He was shaped like a barrel. His chest was a great barrel chest. His thighs mighty barrel thighs. He was not tall, but he weighed close to 250 pounds, brick hard. Yeah. He walked like a crab, side to side. And probably, if he had wanted to be a ballet dancer, he would have been doomed to a miserable life of endless frustration. Yeah, I they changed that a lot. Because he's a little yeah. bit more of a flouncy, Yeah, his, his character's pretty different yeah. book to movie. Okay. They made him kind of foppish. Yeah, that's, that's what I movie. say. Kinda, yeah, um, that's kind of the vibe I got. Anyway. Yeah. That's not not really the case in the book. No, he kind of comes off like a dwarf in the description. <laughs> like not a dwarf, but like a like a like a like a yeah. Tolkien dwarf. <laughs> yeah. Um. The, the the movie takes him way more comedic. In the book, he's actually kind of terrifying. Oh, interesting. Because I have a thing I want to talk about with Humperdinck. <laughs> I have a hot take on Humperdinck <laughs> in a little bit. Okay, I'm excited. Uh, all right. So next one, let's do it. Okay. Oh for one. Um, the other ones are shorter. So, um, next character. She was shaped like a gumdrop. She, alright. And colored like a raspberry. Well, the only two female characters I can think of are Buttercup and Valerie. <laughs> I think. Right? Oh, or the witch. Or, uh, not the witch, but the, the boo lady, assuming she's in the book. Um, shaped like a gumdrop and... Red like a raspberry? Unless they're talking about her when she's wearing that dress. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna go with Valerie. It's the queen. Oh, the queen! Yeah, right, the that's queen. the other. She's in it for like a yeah, scene. Yeah, she's in the movie. she's a minor character. She's she's a minor character in the book too. She's slightly less of a minor character, yeah. I guess. She literally has. A she line yeah. In the she movie. well, she actually has a name in yeah, the book. She's yeah. Queen Bella. Right. So right, the queen. Okay. Yeah. Oh for two. I knew you wouldn't get that no. one. I just really liked the description shaped of like somebody shaped like a gumdrop and yeah. colored like a raspberry. That's good. Oh for two. Okay. Number three. Last one. The man in front was dark, with the gentlest face, almost angelic. He had one leg too short, 
and the makings of a humpback, but he moved forward with surprising speed and nimbleness. Man in front. Uh, okay. I'll have a couple guesses here. I'm going either... Because he's in front. I'm trying to use context clues. Oh, you and your context clues. I'm trying, alright? I'm trying to go back to the ACT here. Um, <laughs> well, dark. So, initially, you might think Spaniard. Maybe it's... But it's probably not Inigo. He would have a longer description, and it'd probably be more obvious. My other thought was uh, the the captain of the guard at the castle. Okay. But he's a ginger, so <laughs> it's probably not him. My other thought was humpback? One leg shorter than the other. Dark? Uh, could be Vecini, maybe? Like, maybe he's a little more eh, mm-hmm. in the... Uh, am I saying that right? Vizzini? I don't even know. Um, Vizzini. Ugh. Shoot, I gotta, I gotta guess somebody. I'm gonna go with Vizzini. You are correct. Yes! <laughs> one for three. Is there only three? Yeah. Oh, three. at least I got one right. I feel so much better now. <laughs> Say, I, I could see that for Vizzini. It made sense. Yeah. The, you know, the one leg and the yeah, hunchback and the... A little bit more of a creeper. I guess, in the book. In the book, a little creepier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. He's not quite as comedic. Right. Oh, got one right. This next segment doesn't have a name either, but we're going <laughs> with, was that in the book? That couldn't have been in the book. That's a rough title. We'll, edit, we'll fix it out as we go. So I'm going to come up with a few things that while I was watching the film, I was like, was that in the book? That probably wasn't in the book. Maybe they changed that and added that for the movie or something like that. So we got a few things that I thought may not have been in the book that are in the film. I have more than three because I came up with a few. But first, this is a big one. The whole grandfather telling the story to the sick Fred Savage. (laughs) Was that in the book? I was so excited to talk about this. Yes, it is. What? I totally <laughs> thought that wasn't in the book. Um, it is with an asterisk. Okay. Um, there is a frame story. So, basically, um, the book starts out narrated by the author, by William Goldman. And he talks about how when he was a kid, his dad would read him this book book whenever he got sick the princess bride by s morgenstern and he loved this book it was his favorite book growing up Mm -hmm. um so he gets to be an adult um well william goldman he's a writer and he's a screenwriter and he decides to abridge the book and make it more palatable Hmm. because this is the whole thing is that the book was actually the fake book, it's not really a book right. written by S. Morgenstern. The whole thing was written by William Goldman right. with this frame story added to it. Right. Um, but the idea is that S. Morgenstern wrote it, and it was actually like a political satire. Mm-hmm. So there are these huge chunks of it that are really boring, where he just like describes the day-to-day, like the minute of court life, yeah. and like... Florinese history and all this stuff. So he decides to abridge it and take out all of the boring parts and just make it be a book with the good parts in it. So throughout the book, 
you occasionally cut back to either asides from the author as he's abridging it, where he'll say something like, and here S. Morgan Stern goes on at length for 20 pages about the native flora of, for- of Florin, or sometimes the flora of Florin, <laughs> and sometimes he'll cut back to his memories of his dad reading it to him as a kid and actually like a lot of the parts in the movie where the grandson interrupts those are in the book okay like word for word that's awesome because that was one of the things i want to talk about it where i said i I wonder if this is in the book because if it's not it's a brilliant choice for the film especially in the beginning because it it's it's such a good thing to have that young audience character because this is a movie for as a movie for kids, which it kind of is, or to an extent, yeah, yeah. You know, for it, young people and, and for everybody, it's for everybody. But that that uh, Fred Savage's character gets the younger kids an immediate in because they're about to have to sit through fifteen minutes of a romance story. Yeah, they literally get to be Fred Savage's <laughs> character. Like, come on, I don't care, and they immediately have something else to identify with in the film. Because right. I know, like six year old me. Would have been like, oh, I don't fucking, ah. But, like, yeah. so you get to like, right. be you, that You kid. have that character to identify with, yeah. and that's important. Yeah, and it, and it tricks kids into enjoying the beginning of the movie without even real, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, if that's not in the book, that's a very clever thing they did. But yeah. apparently it's in the book, so. Yeah. No, and I I think it's it's a good thing that they cut the whole extra frame story where he's abridging it. Right. Because that, that wouldn't yeah. have fit into a movie. It doesn't really add a lot, I don't... Well, I'm sure it adds something it's, to the It's book, fine but. for the book, because the asides from him talking about all of the things that fake author S. Morgan Stern right. cut out are funny. Yeah. They're very humorous. Yeah, I can but imagine. that things. wouldn't have translated to a movie. No. All right, second one. Anybody got a peanut? The rhyming. The rhyming is there. The ever- okay, because originally I just had the anybody got a peanut line. I thought that specific line was creative, and I was like, maybe the whole rhyming thing. But so the rhyming's there. The rhyming is there. That specific line is not there. I was right originally. <laughs> <sighs> I feel good. So the rhyming's there. Do they do some of the rhymes from the movie, or is it just all just the, just the thing they do? It's just a thing they do. I can't okay. think of anything specific right. that made it over word for word. Gotcha. Although a lot of your favorite lines. From, from this book. movie are word for word from the book. Huh, You're cool. gonna find them there. Yeah. There are a few notable things, like anybody want a peanut that yeah. are not. Right. But for the most part, it's all there. Okay, well that kind of hits my next one then. Cause <laughs> the I am not left handed. Totally there. Oh, both of them? Yes. Oh, that's the awesome. fencing scene is actually it's almost beat for beat. That's fantastic. The exact same in the book. That's fantastic. Oh, fencing scene's so good. (laughs) I want to talk about the fencing scene more. We can just do it here. We'll just do it as we go through it. I think it's a good way to do it. The fencing scene is arguably the best scene in the movie. Completely. And I appreciate it more every time I watch it. And it was one thing I even noticed again this time. And I mean, I've seen this movie maybe more than any movie. Yeah. Maybe more than any movie. Maybe some of the Lord of the Rings movies get close, but even those, because I've been watching this since I was five right, years old. Yeah. I'm, I've been watching Lord of the Rings movies since 2001. So, yeah, it's probably the movie I've seen the most in my life. Uh, maybe Star Wars. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that scene is so extra brilliant, and I noticed it this time more because I've always, every time I watched it when I was younger, I loved it because of the fencing and, and the fight. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I always kind of felt, especially as I got a little bit older, it's like, it doesn't, it looks so much more like dancing and like they're not actually trying to kill each other. Yeah. But that's totally what's happening. Yeah. That's the scene is that there, it's two masters that are just like literally testing and dancing with each other and in appreciating each other's oh, yeah, skill. Totally. You know what I mean? And I noticed that the first time you, cause you know, they do the quips and stuff, but like, the fact that it's so sort of them not, like, the fact that it's so kind of, like, seems choreographed almost mm-hmm. to an extent is because they're they're really just, they're, they're doing their fencing forms at each other. They're not, they're throwing their knowledge at each other and just sort of bouncing it back and yeah. forth without actually trying to yeah. kill the it's, other one. It's witty repartee vocally and physically. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. And I, and, I, and I noticed that before, but I really noticed, like just thought about it more this time, kind of watching it more critically, that, yeah, the fact that it is so sort of choreographed dancing is totally the point. <laughs> like, it's totally, <laughs> totally the point. And uh, it's it's an amazing yeah, scene. It's, it's beautifully choreographed. And I lo- the other thing I love about it is that the only... And the reason somebody finally loses isn't because one of them tries to kill the other one. It's because, at least from my interpretation of it, is that Inigo starts feeling outmatched. Yeah. And losing, and starts losing his cool because he can't keep up with him. And so he's just sort of like... You know, it lets his emotions get the best of yeah, him, and that's yeah. why he loses. And that's a brilliant character moment too, yeah. because Inigo is kind of a hothead. He's a hothead. He's yeah. He's a drunken. And, yeah, and he's one of those people who loses confidence easily. Yeah, you know, as soon as he's not the best at it, he starts to doubt himself. Right, and in that moment, especially because he's always the best. Like, yes. he's the best fencer, and then to finally come up against somebody that's his equal and potentially better than he is, mm-hmm. that's why he loses, because he f- loses confidence in himself and, and starts just flailing. Oh, God. It's a fucking brilliant scene. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Except for the one little moment when... <laughs> He swings around the pole and lands, and you can see him land. I think there's two of them, but he lands, and it's very clearly a mat because you can see oh. the ground like sink like four yeah. inches down. <laughs> but it's still, it's apart from those little things, it's brilliant. And this is another thing before we get back, come back onto my list. And this is one of the things where it's really noticeable is that this story, this film could take place on the unlike high school crafted. Uh, like stage sets yeah. and it would be just as good yeah like it could be high schoolers painted the background and built this <laughs> and it would be just as good because the the performances and the characters are so incredible that you like and because that's that one in particular the fencing scene um it is kind of cheesy looking if you yeah. look really closely yeah. it's it looks good enough but it, it you know you can tell it's a set and like it's like right. foam and rocks that's, and, yeah that's the the thing about the movie too is that you mentioned having high schoolers make the set the set in the movie it's fine yeah but it's not great the ones where they're in actual like period <laughs> locations are yeah. better but like you know, like the like the pit of despair and the first fencing one and there's a couple other ones like that that are like very clearly right. sets no it, it's it's the set is one of the places where you can tell they cut on budget a little bit yeah just a little tiny bit yeah just a little bit yeah but like I said, you don't even notice because right. you're so enthralled. Yeah. Like in that scene, the one when you're when uh, Inigo is talking about his dad dying, you're just so into it that, and lost in what in what he's saying <laughs> that you don't care. And then when they're fighting, you just don't care what the, what the set looks like. It's yeah. Okay, let's have to talk about that. All right, next one. Does Buttercup 
dive down the hill oh, after God. Wesley. Okay. Or push him off to begin with, but... Um, she does push him. She does not take a dive down the yes, hill. I knew it! It's still stupid. Um, <laughs> no, that's one of the things that I'm glad that they changed. Oh, really? Because... In the book, she just tries to walk down after him, and she falls. Oh, okay. And I think taking hmm. a dramatic dive is so much better. I can see that, yeah. No, I get your point. I thought it was... It, it, you're right. In the moment, it makes more sense. Because she's so emotionally yeah. caught up in, oh my god, my lover is alive. But it always, to me, was still like, just you could just run down but, after and him. It's, <laughs> just, it, it's just such a ridiculous moment. And I think that fits in with the rest of the mood of the movie, because it is a little bit ridiculous. That's that comedy aspect right. of the movie. I I think taking a dive down the hill is way better You're right. than walking and falling. You've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> You've convinced me. All right, the next one that I don't think was in the book, I would be amazed. The priest with the speech impediment. <laughs> Yes, he is. In the book with yes, the he, with the speech impediment. Yes, he is. Like as they just as he reads it in the movie, and he doesn't say the exact same lines. Yeah, but he is there and he talks like Elmer Fudd. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, he does. I wouldn't like. I guess I wasn't going to be. Super, yeah. Wow. All right. That's something else. I really didn't see that coming. Man, <laughs> the book was really good. I need to read the book. Apparently, you should read the book. <laughs> All right. Maybe I you will. You should always read the book. <laughs> Does Inigo take the knife to the gut? Yes. He does. He does. Follow up, does Inigo die in the book? No. Wow, really? I was convinced if he took the knife, he died in the book, and they just, like, happy-ended that for the movie. No. he He's there, they all get away at the end. There's kind of, like... He acknowledges at the end, um, the author does, he acknowledges that things probably don't turn out well mm. for our merry band of heroes. Right. Um, but there's no... Like they get chased yeah. down by the prince's men and murdered. Like. Yeah, there's there's no <laughs> realistic ending, shall we say. Yeah. Um, there is, at the end of the book, I've never seen an edition of The Princess Bride that did, that did not have this, an unfinished sequel. Yeah, I've, I've like heard of this. like the first couple chapters called Buttercup's Baby. I've never read it because the first chapter of it is titled Fezzik Dies and I Refuse. <laughs> I will not. I, I absolutely refuse to read such a thing. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Okay, last one. Does this happen in the movie? This line. There's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world be a pity to spoil yours because that's such a movie line to me that i would find it hard to believe yeah. that yeah. that was in the book yes it is it is <laughs> yes it Wait, is i need to read it there are always too few perfect breasts in this world leave yours alone it is a better line in the movie yeah a, but but it's there it is they just they just perfected it wow <laughs> that's crazy well, those are all my questions about whether that was in the movie, and surprisingly, like, all of them were. Well, you know, and that's what an adaptation should be, in my opinion. It should improve upon right. the source material. Um, and, it, you know, it helps, I think, um, 
to have the author of the book adapt the screenplay, because he did. Right. Um, and it helps, too, I think, to have that author be an, a two-time Academy Award winning screenwriter. Right. So. <laughs> yep. That, 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 that all helps. That all works. <laughs> Now it's time for Lost in Adaptation. A segment that actually has a name. It actually has a name <laughs> because I randomly came up with a name for it. Alright. Hot take. This isn't really a plot hole, but Inigo is wrong when he says you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Because I'm pretty sure inconceivable just means unbelievable, which is what the point he's expressing in all the times he um, uses. Right? <laughs> Am I crazy that it, it is? He's saying inconceivable. Well, we could look it up. I looked it up when we were watching the movie. Uh-huh. And it it says something that cannot be imagined unbelievable right. beyond the pale. Cannot of, be conceived. Cannot be conceived. And that's... Basically what he's saying in that moment, like, oh, that's unbelievable that he didn't fall. Or it's unbelievable that... Right. So I, I, I don't... It's a great line, and everybody loves it, and that's why this is a hot take. <laughs> Inigo was wrong, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I don't... <sighs> I'm going to both agree and disagree with you. I think Vizzini does use it. In the way that you're saying, but I think potentially he's missing the nuance of the word. My thinking was, and my when I was arguing with myself about it, because I was like, "There's no way it goes wrong about anything." Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I was, I was. My thought was maybe they used to use it more literal, like mm-hmm. what inconceivable literally meant. Like, the fact that he doesn't fall isn't unimaginable. Like, you can, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was thinking maybe inconceivable is always, kind of like, typically used more, like, literally, literally inconceivable. Like, yeah, a rock too big, God yeah. couldn't lift it, or whatever, you know, something like that that is truly inconceivable right. as opposed to just, like, unexpected, kind of, maybe. So I, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt there. You know... Here's my hot take as someone with a literature degree. Ooh, come at me. (laughs) Inigo is a Spaniard, which potentially means that this is his second language. Yeah, sure. I'm sure it is. Which would mean that he might be interpreting the word in a more literal way than a native speaker would use it. Right, right. And that could be his confusion. Yeah. that means, and that line makes even more sense. It's like, I don't think that means what you think it means, but I'm not gonna because I don't want <laughs> this is my second language, so <laughs> that's that's I it's like that. Hot take, yeah, what a hot take. <laughs> oh, I have a, I have the hottest of takes, okay, coming up, not yet. Okay, second plot hole, slash maybe this was lost in adaptation. Why in the world does Vizzini have a picnic set up on the rock with two glasses? <laughs> Waiting for I Wesley? Is that in the book? Um, I guess this is kind of an is that in the book slash did they explain that in the book? It's in the book, but let me check. Is there any sort of explanation? He has a picnic set. Okay. 
There is no explanation for why he has a picnic set. Zero explanation for the picnic set. Zero. Interesting. <laughs> so that was not lost in adaptation. No, that was just that was just adapted. Adapted directly from the right. copied. So, so I think that is a fair plot hole then, because it doesn't make any sense to me that he no. has a picnic. Like, yeah, he would really just be doesn't. running still, or like he would just still be going with her. Like, why does he wait for Wesley? Why waiting? Like, I guess I get. I mean, I would I would get the point that he acknowledges that he probably can't get away, get away and fair he's enough. not going to be able to fight him. So he he would have had to have had some kind of plan to to outsmart him outsmart him right but he didn't but seem he doesn't to. seem to have such a plan he just says like battle of the wits no wesley proposes the battle yeah. of the wits i don't know i don't know what his plan was it's a slight plot hole that i'm just not yeah. sure what his goal was there i don't know maybe he okay. thought he could just like confuse him <laughs> yeah and he would wander away okay next plot hole same scene this isn't a plot hole, it's just a really dumb thing. In your studying, you would have learned that man is mortal. <laughs> How much studying does that require? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Well, I mean, was he a student of philosophy? Because maybe a lot. No, very little. <laughs> you just watch a guy die. He's like, whoop, figured it out. I learned that man, man is mortal. Like, I guess he's trying to go for a deeper level of, like, you truly know that man cannot conquer death, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But it's just, right. like, you would like, learn, you've learned man you, is mortal. You learned like, that man is definitely has no way to escape right. mortality. Right. Uh, yeah. But... It's just the line yeah, as delivered is just a little, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most people got and that Maybe one. it's just meant to be funny. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Okay. I think this is a potentially a plot hole that might have backup in the book. Okay. Why... Does Florin? Not Florin. Is that, is that... I don't even know. Uh, why do they want to go to war with Gilder? Is there any reason? Other Is it just literally because that's what rich assholes that are in charge do? It's literally that's okay. what rich assholes in charge do. <laughs> that's kind of what I thought it might be, but I just yeah. didn't know if there was like a, any sort of political they, machinations. It's, it's that, alluded to that they have a tense history. Okay. As countries that are near each other often do. Right. Tend to. Um, But no, there's okay. no real reason for it. All right. One more. When they light Fezzik on fire. Uh-huh. Is that in the book? Yes, it is. Is he just immune to fire? <laughs> or um, is there an explanation for why he doesn't okay, burn to death? <laughs> so I would have to look this up. But I always kind of assumed that maybe that's what a Holocaust cloak was. Like some kind of fire retardant yeah, material. Yeah, maybe. That's fair, maybe. I never thought about that. Because, yeah. yeah, that is a very specific thing they say. To me, I always assumed it was just a type of, like, full cloak. Like a name right. for, like, a full I don't know. Cloak. I always assumed it was something that maybe you could use if you had to pass through flames really hmm. quickly. Interesting. Or... And they, like, douse them in some sort of yeah. flammable it was, liquid. You know, and then made out of right. something. Yeah, that could make sense. <laughs> that honestly makes or, more sense know, than anything. It's really slow burning. Right, because or... to me it just looks like a wool cloak that he's wearing for... <laughs> 45 seconds while he's on fire and I was like I don't understand how you didn't when I was a kid I was like he would be dead I I don't understand why he's not dead Katie is correct here a holocaust cloak is specifically designed to be fire resistant I'm a little disappointed that you didn't ask me 
how um, Fezzik knows that Vizzini is dead and the existence of the six-fingered man. That all, that mm-hmm. popped into my head, and when in that moment, I was like, wait. And then I just brushed over it and said he must have found out from, because uh, he's been working for the Brood Squad, yeah. like somehow he found out yeah. through that. And that's actually not explicitly explained in the book. It's just kind of implied right. that he saw him at some point, but... He knows Vizzini is dead. It's actually kind of a horrifying scene because he finds his body. And Fezzik, in the book, and kind of in the movie too, is not like the brightest bulb. Yeah. And there's this actually kind of horrifying scene where he spends a few minutes like shaking Vizzini and trying to get him to wake up. Oh no. I know. I'm so glad they cut that. I know. That's the worst thing ever. It's horrible. <laughs> so glad that's not in there. But, so there's that plot hole cleared up. Oh, fair enough. I'm so um, glad that is not in Yeah. the movie, because that would be horrifying. That is horrifying. Those are all my plot holes. Not many really actually plot holes. A couple. I think the Fazzini one's probably the biggest one. But yeah. So not much was lost in adaptation. Name of the segment. <laughs> Katie's going to discuss things that were better in the book. Like, why would they change that? That's the name of this segment. Is Why would they do that? As I've said, this is pretty masterfully adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, so my things that were better in the book aren't necessarily things that I'm like... Oh, I wish they had kept that. Uh, I'm really upset that they changed that. Mm-hmm. They're just like little tidbits here and there that were maybe more interesting or that helped to flesh out the plot a little bit. Right. Um, for example, in the book, um, Count Rugen, the six-fingered man, has a wife, hmm. the Countess, Ooh. Um, who is the most fashionable lady in all of Europe. As she would be. As she would be. And... There's really no reason for her to be in the movie. Right. Um, Which is why she's just, not. Just, yeah, just an extra character. Yeah. But her presence in the book, if we want to talk about minor plot holes, as we were, um, her presence does help drive the plot forward a little bit. Because what happens is that Count Rugen and the Duchess show up at the farm where Buttercup lives. I don't remember why exactly. But they show up there, um, and that's how Humperdinck comes to learn of Buttercup's existence Hmm. as the most beautiful woman in the world. But the Countess um, has eyes for Wesley. Ooh. Which makes Buttercup jealous, which is what makes her realize that she is in love with him. Nice. So... While we don't necessarily need her in the movie, she does help drive the plot forward in a way that's not just, and then suddenly one day Buttercup realized. Yeah, that is the thing, it's, it's tr- which I think works in the fantasy romance oh, setting totally. of, you know, it where totally it's just like, does. she's true love, they're yeah. just in love, it's true love. Like, there's not really a reason, he's handsome, she's pretty, <laughs> and they stay gaze <laughs> they at each other. like each other and they kissy face. <laughs> yeah, like, way. they're just in love, that's, yeah. shut up, that's the why, because they are. <laughs> But I could see how it would be interesting if there was a a, a, yeah, a, a secondary, should, yeah. a deeper level to it. 
couple little things. Uh, the Pit of Despair. It's a better name than what's in the book. Um, but in the book, it's kind of a more interesting, compelling concept. Um, it's called The Zoo of Death. Ooh. Yeah, The Zoo of Death. I don't know if Pit of Despair is a better name. I guess it is in, in, a, in a simple sense, but yeah. I like Zoo of Death. I mean, The Pit of Despair communicates what it is very right. concisely. Very concisely. Um, or Zoo of Death is a little more. Yeah, Zoo of, Zoo of Death is a little more, Yeah, what is that? Yeah. But the Zoo of Death is a five-level underground zoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where Humperdinck keeps all of these various animals so that he can go down into the Zoo of Death and, like, fight a lion if he wants to. Huh. And uh, So, okay. <laughs> so we touched on this at the beginning of of this episode where the, how they made Humperdinck kind of a fop. Yeah. Um or is he's not that yeah. in the book. He's in the book they go really hard on him being like a full-blown sociopath. Gotcha. Like he is psychotic and terrifying. Right. Um he likes to murder hence the zoo of death. Yes. The reason that Buttercup agrees to marry him is because he explicitly threatens to kill her if she doesn't. Hmm. Um, which they don't really no. even allude to Mm-mm. in the movie. No, she just agrees because... Yeah. Because. He's, uh, he's kind of a terrifying dude hmm. in the book. Very different than his movie interpretation. Since we're on Humperdinck and his movie interpretation, <laughs> it's time for my Humperdinck hot take. Oh, I'm excited. Humperdinck? is totally the first internet shitlord. Like, his character in this movie, like, for real. If I'm wrong, and I'm never wrong. That's one of his first lines. He's sexist as shit. He can't understand why the pretty girl doesn't want to be with him. He, he can't, but but he doesn't want to be with him, the nice guy. I'm talking about the movie here. Right. And, but wants to be with the, the pirate, the bad boy, the Chad. <laughs> Throws a fucking temper tantrum, like, whenever she refuses his advances, and instantly surrenders when confronted in person. Oh, and even more interestingly, in the book, um, okay, so in the movie, when he's confronted, Wesley eventually stands up Mm -hmm. and points the sword right at him. Does not happen in the book. He pulls the whole thing off sitting down. Oh, I... I like that, and I wrote a little thing about how much I like that in the movie, because it's, I think that uh, there's, there's something beautiful about that final scene, where Wesley doesn't defeat him, but I can see the sitting down part having yeah. its own merit, but doesn't defeat him by fighting him. Yeah. He defeats him by simply standing up in the face of tyranny and evil. Literally, yeah. just standing up in the, you know what I mean? Like, there's a beautiful yeah. s- metaphor, metaphor to that, that's... Um, that I li- that I like, but I, yeah, there's also something yeah, I mean, super he, badass. He doesn't about just fight like... him. Yeah, he basically wins by calling him out. Yeah, <laughs> as you do with internet shit. <laughs> I like that. I like that as a hot take. I'm telling you, <laughs> the original internet. Shit he board. really is. If you watch the movie, he is everything. <laughs> he checks every box of every fucking <laughs> shithead on the internet. Okay, so the lightning sand and the fire swamp. Again, it's a better name. They call it Snow Sand in the book. Yeah, Way better name. Sand makes more sense. Um, 
But there's a description in the book of, like, what it's like down inside of it. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, And, like, at one point, like, Wesley's reaching out and he thinks he has her wrist, but it's a skeleton. And I I don't think there's a way to make that really translate into a movie. No. But it's really it, yeah, it's kind of a shame. Yeah. I think that it doesn't translate yeah. cuz it's a really cool scene. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of the sand scene, I can't be everybody does did, did this when they were a kid, right? Still does. From the moment Wesley dives in, you hold your breath. <laughs> And try to hold it the whole time he's down until he comes up. And then when he comes up, you gasp for air with him. <laughs> Come on, I'm not the only person who did that, right? Uh, I don't know if I ever did, did that. Did you do it for... Maybe I did. Did you do did. it for Buttercup? Yeah, from the moment she fell in. <laughs> yeah. Which is longer. It's a yeah, lot longer. Way it would be way harder. <laughs> but every time. And I think it could do it. I don't think it's that long in screen time. I think it's only like 30 seconds or so. Tops. So I think it's pretty reasonable to do. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I always used to do it when reasonable. I was a kid. Last thing from the book. Um, okay, so we've talked about this before. Uh, Buttercup in the movie, kind of useless. Yeah. Yeah. She, she has her moments, but by and large... Yeah, she's mostly useless. She's kind of useless. Yeah, unfortunately. Book Buttercup is just about as useless. Mm. Um, and I, I thought you these know, were I, better things in the book. I think... I think it has a lot to do with just the time period. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But, um... Well, and the story that they're telling. Right. It's a yeah. damsel in distress princess story. Right. That, you know. But she does, in the book, she has kind of a cool moment at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they get out of the castle, and they're on the horses, and they're trying to get out of the city. Mm-hmm. Um... And it's a, a little bit more realistic than it is in the movie. Cause, you know, in the movie, the they sunset. just they just ride off into the sunset and everything's fine. Um, they, the, the guards and the brute squad, the captain of the guard and everybody tries to kind of give chase. Yeah. At the end of the book, um, and basically, she like stands up in her saddle, and she's like, "The prince just had an attempt on his life, so you better go that way." Mm-hmm. And chase the actual culprits, and the guy's like, "Well, I only take orders from the prince." And she's like, "Yeah, bitch, I'm the queen." <laughs> yeah, and he leaves. The, I am the queen. I just got married to the prince or the, the princess so, or whatever. It, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that it redeems her entirely, but it's it's That's a, a moment. cool moment. It's yeah, something. yeah, it's something. She doesn't have anything like that in the books. I think maybe she ties up Humperdinck. Yeah, she ties up Humperdinck but that's not, I mean, in the movie, and uh, confronting Humperdinck and calling him a coward. Yes, I think that's is, her best is, moment. Yeah, it's yeah. a brave moment, and yeah. that is in the book as well. Yeah, that's probably her best. Yeah. Did it better. Film did it better. My biggest disappointment with this book. There are no shrieking eels. Oh, in this I was, book. I was gonna ask. I it was one of my things. I almost put as was that in the book. 
because I thought that might be like a an, a, an action point they wanted mm-hmm. to add early mm-hmm. on to kind of get something going before the first major fight scene. Right. Um, but I was like, nah, this seems kind of like a thing that would be in the book. Like it just. She still jumps in the water, but it's shark infested. Oh, uh, okay. No shrieking eels, just plain old regular so boring, boring sharks. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I would be curious to know if maybe that was like a change a little bit related to budget. Like, maybe it cost less to have animatronic eels than, like, big sharks. Uh, yeah, maybe a little. Or maybe they, like, already had eel-type things sitting around from something. That, or maybe this is only... Well, this is, like, well, quite a long time after Jaws was 80, I think. So yeah. this is way after Jaws. But I think maybe they just wanted to be different and make it a little more fantasy. True. Yeah. A little more, you know, fun than just sharks. You yeah. Know, something and it is more interesting. Fun. It's more interesting. It's, you know, sharks is everybody's seen a shark. We we saw Jaws eight years mm-hmm. ago. Let's see something new. So that would be my guess is they just wanted something more interesting yeah. than sharks. Okay. The movie cuts an entire scene, and I'm glad they did because... It was for nothing. Um, But the movie cuts an entire scene where Humperdinck attempts to court Princess Norina of Gilder, Hmm. who ends up being bald, and he won't marry her because she's bald. Internet shit lord confirms. (laughs) Which I guess is... I mean, it's a funny scene, and I think it's an interesting telling moment for his character. Yeah. But... It doesn't do anything for the plot. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, I can see why yeah, yeah. it doesn't sound relevant. No, <laughs> it it's not relevant at all. Okay, so the biggest thing that I'm really, really grateful they changed from book to movie. Um, when Buttercup leaves with Humperdinck after the fire swamp, and she tells Wesley... That she couldn't bear it if he died again. Mm-hmm. That is so much worlds better <laughs> yeah. than what happens in the book. <laughs> because what happens in the book made me straight up hate Buttercup. Oh, I where did you think I was going? With uh, no, that? I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know where you were going with it. It makes me hate her. So this is this is the scene. I'm going to read it to okay. you. Okay, go for it. Because I don't know that I can do this justice without just reading it. All right. The truth, said Wesley, is that you would rather live with your prince than die with your love. I would rather live than die, I admit it. We were talking of love, madam. There was a long pause. Then Buttercup said it. I can live without love. And with that, she left Wesley alone. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give my counter to why that what that why that's not without having read and knowing mm-hmm. all the context. My guessing. So did they still do the thing where she says I'll come with you as long as you let Wesley live or no? Yeah. Like does she argue for to let Wesley live? Cuz my thinking is that she's doing... But then again, if she's waiting for Wesley to come back to her, I don't know how that all works out. But my thinking would be she's doing the uh, the thing that people do with dogs in movies or pets. Like, get out of here. I don't even want you around anymore. Because she doesn't yes. want him to come back and get killed. 
or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? To like come back, and so she's trying to sever that tie as cleanly as possible, yeah, so that she yeah. doesn't have to have him die. Right. She does make them promise not to hurt him. So that would be my only okay. take on it. I still think the movie does it yes. a better way. That's I completely, compelling. You know yeah. what I mean? Like she's just trying to like get him so that he's like, "Well, fuck you" or whatever, mm-hmm. and try to sever that because she knows that you know. That would be my only take, is that that's what that angle is. still think the movie's way is better. No, it totally is. And in in the book, um, she has multiple nightmares. Yeah. It's not just the nightmare with the old lady. Right. Um, And the nightmares sort of spur her to realize that she made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Similar to to how it is in the movie. But I I think the movie, it, it makes more sense... Yeah. Thematically and for the genre. Yeah. I agree. And it's more satisfying. Yeah, it's definitely more satisfying, (laughs) for sure. Now it's time for anything else, because this is anything else we want to talk about before we decide which one is better. I have a couple other things I wanted to mention. As do I. Okay, cool. My first one, arguably the most convincing man on his hands and knees monster ever, because <laughs> the RUS is it's very clearly a little person in a costume, and I never noticed until I was probably twenty five. <laughs> like I never thought about it until I saw the movie ten times, and it was like, "That's Wait a dude." A minute. That's a dude on his hands and knees. <laughs> But it looks great. Yeah. Like, you know, it's so good. And it's, yeah, but yeah. No, there are great creepy costumes. Scene where he's holding its mouth open and his yeah, tongue like, is just going crazy. Alright, what's something else you wanted to talk about? The reunion scene when they're down at the bottom of the ravine um, and they're about to kiss. And the movie. Um, cuts that out by having the grandson interrupt and say he doesn't want to hear about kissing. Um, In the book, there is also no reunion scene. And the explanation for that is that S. Morgenstern never wrote one. Hmm. Um, And then author William Goldman cuts in and says, well, I think there should have been one, so I wrote my own. But my publisher wouldn't add new material to the adaptation. So, and this is actually in the book. He puts down his publisher's address (laughs) and says, so you can write the publisher if you want to read it and they'll send it to you. And you actually could for a long time. Um, It's online now. Oh, so so you could literally, they would mail it to you? So, yes, they would literally mail it to you. Awesome. Um, that is awesome. So now there's an asterisk at that part, and if you go down to the footnote, it says, yeah, you can you can go online and read it. Um, but that scene does exist. That's awesome. It's just not in the book. That is super cool. All right, another one. Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, probably the two best minor five-minute characters yes. in any movie ever. Uh, Miracle Max and Valerie. Are they in the books? Yes. Okay. I assumed they were at least yeah. at least Miracle Max because of the No, they're both thing. there. Yeah. Um 
They're incredible. That whole scene is just amazing. And they knock it out of the park. You know what's amazing, and I didn't even realize it until just now, and I think I knew it, but I always forget it, is that Valerie is played by Carol Kane, mm-hmm. who is uh, Lillian... Right. What's her I, name I from think, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? I think that's the only other thing I've ever seen her in. I know, I know, but she <laughs> plays the old lady in Unbreakable yeah. Kimmy Schmidt, and I'm like, holy shit. I was like looking through the cast list, and I was like, that is... Wow. She must have been... Because that's like, what, 30... 40 years ago? 30 years ago. So, yeah, literally 30 years ago. Yeah. That's right, I just saw Ooh. they just released... They just released new 30th anniversary artwork online for this movie but yeah so she was really young and they you know that is one thing that's kind of weird why didn't they just get old people because billy crystal i mean they could sell some tickets yeah. with billy crystal in their movie. and they're both really great comedic yeah, actors great comedic actors yeah. Uh, yeah oh that scene is so good so one other thing that i just want to go back to because we've touched on it some throughout this episode but just how absolutely masterfully this is adapted mm-hmm. into a film. Yeah. Um it's brilliant. The book is great. The movie improves on the book in every way imaginable, which like I said is what an adapt- adaptation should do. Mm-hmm. One example that I want to talk about is Fezzik and Inigo. Um cuz in the book we they both have like their own pretty long sections where we learn their entire backstory and the way that they work in Inigo's backstory by having him tell Wesley about it is perfect. Yeah. It sets up who Inigo is. He just met this guy and he's telling him his dramatic <laughs> life story yeah. of revenge. Yeah. And it provides them with a perfect bonding moment, which makes the fact that they work together at the end of the story make sense. Fezzik, we don't really get as much of his backstory in the movie, but we don't really need it because the way that his lines are adapted and the way that his character is played Mm -hmm. tells us everything we need to know about him. Yeah. Like, we don't need to know his entire backstory to understand that he's a gentle giant. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's just, he's a giant, he's a misfit, he's... Yeah. You know, he, he gets by because he's a big guy and he can break people and stuff and right. things, but it's not, like, what he wants to do necessarily, it's just <laughs> what he can do, it's what he's good at, so... Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, I think those two characters especially really speak to how well this is adapted into yeah. a film because we don't need to get their whole entire backstory to understand them, to identify with them, and to love them. That combined with the performances yes. by the actors who uh, yes. just could not have done a better job. This movie really is a perfect storm. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at the time, um, fantasy was pretty big. You had, like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was yeah. big. Yeah, late 80s. Yeah. yeah. You had like other movies, like Labyrinth and, Labyrinth uh, uh, and Dark Crystal, um, and uh, um, Never Ending Story, The Last Unicorn. The Lord of the Rings animated movies were yes. earlier, earlier. Yes, they were like seventy. That was but... around the same time. Um, you you know you had authors like Charles Delint and Tamora Pierce. Yeah. Fantasy was of the moment. Yes, for sure. And then you know you had the author, like I said, 
two-time Academy Award-winning screenwriter. He won for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and then for All the President's Men. Yeah. Had the actual author adapting screenplay, and so many talented and comedic actors working on this. Yeah, and then then, uh, directed by Rob Reiner, Mm -hmm. who's a brilliant director, but... This is sort of something, I think even at the time, not really within... He had mostly done comedies, I think, yeah. for the most part. Like, he did All in the Family he worked on. I know he uh, he directed or wrote, directed, uh, this is Spinal Tap, which is what mm-hmm. the Christopher Guest tie-in, where Christopher Guest plays the Six-Fingered Man. And uh, so he had done a lot of comedy and some other stuff, but he hadn't really done, like, an action film, as far as I know. Like, a, you yeah. know, a sort of action-adventure type movie. But But he had the comedic chops for it, and he had the character chops for it. To direct good characters yeah. and direct direct good comedy, and because it, it like we've talked about, this movie has some of the best comedic timing of any movie. But yeah, so it, it yeah, like you said, it's a perfect storm. So let's get to the final judgment, <laughs> which is better. So I will be honest, dear listener, you will not hear this from me often. But this is one of those rare times when I think the movie does edge out the book. And the the book is amazing. Yeah. And you should definitely read the book. It's basically a fleshed out longer version of the movie. Right. Like a lot of it is adapted beat for beat. Yeah. But the movie is just a tighter more succinct without losing any yes, of the heart without losing any of the heart yeah story cool mark one up for the movies <laughs> so thanks for listening to this film is lit we'll be back again in two weeks with another breakdown but while we're gone go watch some movies read the book first or don't or don't, do you don't have to <laughs>